And welcome back to my little independent music business podcast, Behind the Music Business, with me, Danny Champion. This week's episode is with another Hertfordshire Uni alumni. This is James Pepper, current guitar tech and part of Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats' road crew. Uh, we had a bloody good chat and a catch-up over several online conversations. Um, beset with plenty of technical issues that were mostly mine. We spoke a few times back in the summer and then I went and lost my external hard drive with about three hours worth of great conversation on it. And so after he'd come back off tour, he found some time to fit me into his schedule again. And it was just, it was great just catching up and finding out what he's been up to and what life is like on the road. We talked about being a, a tech, part of a crew. We talked about guitars. We talked about some of the other bands uh, that he's worked with in his time as a guitar tech. Temperance Movement and Fright and Rabbit being the two. And a bunch of other stuff in between. Uh, as I said, there was well over five hours worth of conversation and it was amazing just catching up with the guy. Um, Loads of stories, loads of insights, loads of really fascinating points of view, especially from a Brit now living over in America. Um, but sadly, much of it was lost due to me misplacing a hard drive. So I'm really hoping on getting Pepper back in the new year to talk again, because there's loads and loads of other stuff that I'd like to chat to him about. Uh, so until then, uh, please sit back and enjoy my conversation with James Pepper. What guitars have you got there? Um, <laughs> my the very first guitar I ever had, ever. Do you know you can always tell when someone the first guitar anyone bought because it's always. It doesn't matter who you are, or where you're from. You put stickers on your first. Oh guitar. yeah, 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 definitely. This seems to be this <laughs> seems to be a common thing. Yep. So I knew that was your first. Guitar. You didn't need to tell me that. It's a nice kind of. It's about a hundred quids worth of hundred quids worth of Yamaha acoustic guitar. Mate, Yamaha. And Yamaha makes the other one fine is acoustic. a. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Hey, it's. Uh, over twenty years old. I, th I think. I think. I think. I think. So, as far as budget acoustics goes, going. Yamaha is is are the ones to get. Mhm. Mm the other one is a cheap and nasty Strat copy that a university friend left in the house when he got kicked out of uni. Nice. Why did he get kicked out? Uh, he left a load of it. He just he failed the first year twice. Okay. Twice. Wow. And. That's someone that really doesn't do. want to yeah. do university. You, know? you fail your first year. Well, he was doing something ridiculous, like... Um, he was doing some ridiculous physics degree. And he's a really smart guy, but the first year he got... Uh, Oblivion came out mm -hmm. on the Xbox. Done. Second year, I think he got shingles, or it might have been right. the other way around. Yeah, but when he got kicked out, he just left a load of his stuff in the house like his bike 
and various other bits and pieces. And that was there until the very end. And so I kind of just took it and I've removed all the strings. And the idea is that I'm just going to buy a bunch of Mm -hmm. better bits and use the wood, just the frame as a strap frame and then play with it and make it better than just a a good way of doing things. Strap I mean, copy. the the only just don't just promise me you won't paint it. For some reason, whenever anyone buys a cheap guitar, they they always think a great no. thing to do is to paint it. But painting those guitars is such a pain. <laughs> it's like, just because that it's like polyester. Well, I think, any, I think just, painting any any guitar. No, no, because with a the pain. right finish, if you use like a nitro cellulose finish, then it's easier to get off and stuff. That's just like, I don't know, trying to get. Trying to get lacquer off a cheap guitar is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career. <laughs> right. <laughs> you might be able to help me out, actually, because I've got a, a Les Paul mm-hmm. studio up in Manchester uh, that I gigged to high heaven and the paint in between the... Well, there, there's, some, there's a horrible bit on it where mm-hmm. the paint has, has chipped off. So it's not in a really nice kind of oh that guitar looks yeah used it that looks like paint okay. has chipped off, and I've always wanted to get that sorted. So any advice how much on that paint is it? How much can we start saying lacquer? I'd have to take paint. Paint. I'd have paint to take a picture of it. If I say paint, and there's someone else who okay, sorry lacquer. I'll I'll basically I'll if I use this as part of the podcast <laughs> I'll edit in lacquer every single time. So if you just want to say lacquer n- nicely for, for the edit, that'd be great. Um, um, I can't remember off the top of my head how much, so I'd have to take a picture of it a, the next time I'm up in Manchester. Because you might just be able to drop fill it using I will stains do. and super glue, depending on how much stuff is missing. Okay. They tend to go they tend to chip off in like chunks, don't they? So if it's like a big chunk, then that's difficult to to get back on but if it's like yeah. just a little chip and i think just... that's what it is i th- i think actually uh the reason why it's come off is mainly to do with putting stickers on the guitar i don't know how much you love putting i think because again it was a guitar that i mm-hmm. got when i was 15 i was 15 you put stickers on a guitar when you're 15 and in punk bands come on i don't think i ever put stickers on a guitar the only thing i did that i've I only just remembered for the first time in ten years right now is that <laughs> I, I, I didn't feel that comfortable playing Luke Armitage's pop songs. Okay. <laughs> when we, because because I, I was in a phase of my life where I I I, I just really like punk music and, yeah. and I was like this this does, doesn't you know so and like I had I had friends at uni that were like why are you. Why you play? Actually, I mean, like you know, he wrote he he wrote fine songs and stuff, but like, you know, just just playing pop songs, I just found it a bit weird. So I remember okay. that day when we did the summer ball, and I I put the black flag bars on, in gaffer tape on the underside of my guitar, just to <laughs> prove to myself that that I was still a I was still a punk. Nice. Hang on. I don't know if, if you're going to get to it. What advice would you give to someone starting out in touring? Like, don't buy a van. <laughs> no one I know that's bought a van has ever, like, made a 
a reasonably good career out of touring. But I seem. think that was, I mean, we'll come on to that stuff. I was going to try and do things slightly differently, considering this is the third time we've done this. Um, Two and a half. <laughs> uh, but I think that, that the answer to that question of what would you, what advice would you give someone to enjoy is kind of, if you have an idea, chance your arm with it, maybe, because you never know. Yeah, I mean... When you don't yeah, know what it, you're doing, you might as well not know what you're doing, but give it a go. Like the whole thing with... with, <laughs> with but with, with, with someone like Bibes buying a van, yes, he bought a van mm. and it didn't quite work out and all that sort of stuff, but he bought a van and that enabled him to go on a number of tours as a tour manager and mm -hmm. as a driver and he got this kind of basis for experience that a lot of what yeah. he does now is all based around and that came from the I'm not, fact yeah, that I'm not saying it was a waste of time it. I'll go and buy a van <laughs> but yes. yeah it wasn't a waste of time by any means but like um, yeah I, I mean I didn't think that I was going to end up being a guitar technician when I left uni no that wasn't the, that wasn't the plan. Right before I left, I remember talking to my course tutor, and pretty much like I hope he's not listening because this is pretty much the only bit of good advice I got from the guy. But like he was just like just just throw yourself into everything. Yeah. yeah. Just like it, it, you know that you want to work in this industry, so just just throw yourself into everything you can, and the chance to kind of specialize in something will will kind of present itself to you, and you'll you'll realize what you're interested in and and, and things like that. Yeah. Um it was a bit easier for 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 you and your friends because you had an internship that you did as part of your degree. Uh well no that was but that was we didn't have to was that pushed not, in later. Everybody did. So again th oh, okay. things like that, things like internships and and the like were we were encouraged to do it. Mm -hmm. Um but for every one of us that did one, there was somebody else that didn't. And okay. yeah, and I think that's the case for a lot of for a lot of courses. I, I know that if you do things like teaching degrees or nursing and things like that, you have to. You are you are sent out into the working world to do placements at schools or at hospitals. Um, but for us, it was very much a, if you can get one of these, brilliant. But if you don't, then there's always a way around it. So I think it's I mean, kind of, it, push, it pushes those that want to, to, to seek it out, but it's not kind of there. It's with regards for you to like, play. with like my graduating class though, um, the, it, it's pretty much one for one. Like if you had an internship, you got a job after, afterwards, you know, like I lived with, my final year, I lived with five industry students. Um, three of them got internships, um, and two of them are still working in the industry. Yeah, um, but that's that's the two that didn't. More... The two that didn't get an internship didn't didn't end up working because they did, they didn't know where to kind of place themselves once they yeah got out of uni. But I think that's probably more to do with the drive the of the duties. individual. Yeah, to go probably. out and and get that. Um, have you ever met? anyone who's a tech that knew they wanted to be a tech from an early stage or has everybody that you've met kind of just landed um, and found themselves in this job because of an opportunity that came up 
in my in my job specifically um so this could be guitar text or or bass or drums or keys or or whatever but yeah a backline yeah, technician the, yeah um i, I think I don't, I don't think it's anyone's like goal as a 14 year old to be a guitar tech i remember um my friend's dad being like do you know that there's a job you can do at the gibson factory where you just like play guitars all day and you just make sure they're in good condition and stuff and i was like well, that sounds like a fun job but like i didn't really think about it like in any realistic way yeah. until 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 yeah what i said it, i just found the opportunity to specialize in the thing right i liked guitars you know and i didn't and my degree was in a was in studio recording and it became like patently obvious in my final year that that's something i didn't want to do mm-hmm. afterwards um, but it's still very much uh, a lot of backline technicians are performers or engineers in some way shape or form or at the very least they play an an instrument to well a, this is to a this level. is kind of the thing with with backline techs which is which is kind of annoying is that like a lot of them are, are failed musicians that didn't really know what to do i didn't want to say <laughs> um, that but you did so fair <laughs> enough um it's actually a reason why like because I was playing for a while and then I, I saw this kind of route into being like, oh, I could make this this touring guitar technician a career. So I just stopped playing. Right. Because I was like, there's a lot of people when you're kind of like, hey, are you, um, I won't mention the, the person or the artist he was with, but I, was, I remember going up to this one guy at a festival and going, hey, are you Thingy's guitar technician? And he was like, no, 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 no I'm, a, I'm, I'm a musician. I was like, oh, okay cool do you know where thingy's guitar technician is <laughs> and he's like oh well, well i'm looking after him today and i was like okay cool so so you're the person i need to talk to you and he's like yeah i was like okay so why did you say you're a musician are you a musician today and he was like no and i was like okay you're just confusing things here mate i don't need to know that you're a musician in general it's great that you are i'm glad you're being creative but um, I have a but, question that needs answering. Yeah, but I have a question about like what, why your risers are blocking the the stage, <laughs> and you've just wasted twenty five seconds of my life. Um, so, but yeah, that that it's definitely a thing that that um, guitar techs are, are failed musicians. My, I actually came at it from I wanted to be a a, a workshop like a repairman. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the word. I don't really love the word luthier, but. Um, but you know, and I wanted to be a, a guy fixing and and maybe building guitars out of a workshop, and then uh, I realised that touring is more fun and pays better. So you can do both, surely. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure there's. I can. I, people I, I did for a both. while. I did. I did for a minute, but like, um, when you end up on the, you know, up as touring becomes a bit more um, high pressure, and you need to actually have skills. Right. Um, then all of a sudden I'm kind of, I'm, I'm fine being like a, a technician that that does a little bit of, of workshop stuff when he's home rather than a workshop guy that goes on tour, which is kind of, tour. that was the original plan anyway. What's expected of you? on your tours we'll come on to what you've been doing since we last spoke in a minute 
but kind of <laughs> in general, and I know we've touched on this and you've gone into a few specifics, so feel free to, to say that again, but what is the general expectations of a backline technician on a day-to-day basis whilst on tour? I mean, it's, make, it's mainly just making sure the stuff works. Um, <laughs> nice I, and I, simple. Like it, Make sure it works. It, it, See you later. It, yeah, in a, in, a, in, a, in a really, really quick way. Yeah, you just make sure the stuff works. And make sure the stuff doesn't go wrong during the show. That's, that's probably the main thing. Um, yeah, but I mean, you just... You're just the, the, the thing that's actually kind of difficult about it um, is that you're looking out, you, you've got, you're looking after the, the musicians directly. Yeah. And um, so your job changes and, depending on the musician. Yeah. I mean, like you, ha- you like, obviously like there's different stage set up and the, the weather does a, you know, a huge impact on my job. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, if you're, if you're a front of house guy, um, you're what you're doing as the main part of your job. And it actually, it isn't directly involved with, with what they're doing. They don't know if you're doing a good job or not. They have to just, they have to get feedback from other people. And, and yeah, I've seen front of house guys get sacked from bad Instagram comments before, but, um, but you know, they, they, they don't know. They've got to just go off what other people tell them. Have you, have you, as, as, as someone in the touring party, have you got to be really aware of stuff like, you know, what you're doing on social media and stuff, because, you kind of there's a lot of there's there's some rules there's there's some there's some kind of unwritten rules that um in the kind of touring crew community you, you just don't do right never take never take a photo of your laminate it's technically a safety risk um right. don't take photos of the set list um yeah look there's little things like that where you you, you kind of need to be uh yeah you need to be responsible you also i mean you're you it's the kind of ambassador for the band thing well, as well. Yeah. If you're rude to the local crew on the way in or like, you know, if, yeah. yeah you're like an, that, you're an extension of the badly. artist or the band. So you've got to yeah. carry yourself accordingly, even if you are just effectively being paid for, for your time or hired help for that particular window of time, you are still uh, representing the artist in some way. So you've got to take that into account. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a period of time when like, when it, like early, early days for me, when I was like, just not, not that competent at my job and still kind of learning, mm-hmm. um, tends to manifest itself as that kind of anxiety can tend to manifest itself in, you know, anger at times. Okay. And, um, so I'd find myself being quite rude to, you know, the local crew, the guys that helped me load in and, and get everything get the show set up and you know I had to have I think it was the drama of one of the bands I worked with had to pull me aside and be like you're really showing your inexperience here because <laughs> you're because be, you're because you're being you know you're being rude to locals and you're being short with them it's just like there's it it doesn't take much to be polite to people and it's it an interesting would... turn of phrase he used as well that you're showing your inexperience I know it's great I, I mean no, I, it's I learned, really good it's I learned not just do immediately <laughs> I mean, it was a me starting here was a it was a great the the band I first started with um they were called the Temperance Movement they're yeah. like a southern rock blues band. Didn't you say that and they, they were, were all text themselves? They were all session musicians. Session like, musicians. Like that was the one. So like, yeah. So they'd all done 
huge tours. They'd all done arena touring, and then they they started this band of, of of music that they all liked, and they wanted to kind of keep it keep it original and keep it as something that they were like truly passionate about, and not yeah. feel like uh, not feeling like they're part of a kind of pop machine, right? Um, but they were all very accomplished, um, wonderfully talented musicians. They're still going. I don't know why I'm saying it in the past tense, probably because I'm not working for them anymore. Yeah. But um, and and they were. Yeah, and they and they and they were very patient and 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 kind of taught me the the basics of of how how you how you're supposed to be yeah. on tour and to other people and um yeah all of all, all of the of that kind of keen stuff. But I kind of learned it from people who had been doing it for ten years already. Yeah, which was very helpful. And Rather the, than most, I think when most guys start out touring, you the the easy way into it is to just find your wait till you're mates band start doing well yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and then just go hey can i do something that makes me useful please yeah and the likelihood is if you do continue to show your inexperience you just don't get asked back on the next tour and then suddenly you don't get asked back on a different tour whereas yeah. if you do show that yeah. you're learning and evolving and getting better and taking on that advice then word gets around that you're you listen, you're good, and things like that, and that's when the next job comes in, and the next job, and the next job. Have you done much else since you've been part of Nathaniel Waitlift's crew? Um, and let me just check. I have not done a single... I've done one show okay. that wasn't... And Nathaniel Waitlift show since I started with him, okay. which was Mar- March seventeenth, twenty eighteen. Okay, and that was just um, because it was available. That and was you the, were in the right place at the right. No, time. that was the. No, that was the. So I went from, the timing, the timing of um, of how how I went from Frightened Rabbit to Nathaniel Waitlift was one day. Right. The the you know what we obviously didn't know at the time, but the, what would have been the last Frightened Rabbit show yeah, yeah. was the day before the first Nathaniel Waitlift show. So I just like stopped. I st- I stopped one tour and started another tour. Okay. Um, but then last December, Frightened Rabbit did a um like a, a charity show mm-hmm. um for a homeless charity. It's called the Big Sleep Out. Um, where there was a, a good. I, I, I wish I knew the number. It was in the it was in the thousands of of people sleep slept in on Glasgow Green in December. Okay. Um, and Frightened Rabbit did like a charity show at the bandstand. We had like guest singers. Um, so like Simon Neal did two songs, and the Twilight Sad Lot did a couple songs. Right. Um, and they were they were you know filling in for Scott, um, which was nice. Um, yeah, and I, I obviously like flew back for it because I that's obviously a show I was passionate about doing, regardless of um, regardless of money and all that sort of stuff. So like, yeah. so I, I believe that's the only show that I haven't done with Nathaniel since since I started with him. Okay. Um, but like I said, he like he likes to keep his mm-hmm. keep his keep his loyal guys loyal, um, which is a nice thing. And then he works enough that I, I don't really feel like I need to take work in between. He 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 tries to do like 200 days away every year. Touring is obviously like um, very, very mentally and quite physically exhausting. Um, it does really pull it out of you. Um, so so that that metric of of 
if if you think that like if there's 365 days in a year, you take away 104 days for weekends and another 20 some for bank holidays, and you, you're about you're about 200 once you put in for holidays, sick days, and stuff. So 200 yeah. working days seems like about about right, and then you've got a couple more weeks, maybe a month more than a, a normal a normal working person where you get to kind of rest and stuff because um, you you do really need it. You do. How has this this previous how has this last batch of shows been? Where have you been in the past month or so? Um the last month so we started in um Phoenix at the start of August. Right. Um and we did uh, a show at a nice theater there and then America's kind of nice in that in that you can just sort of keep going and there's it's not like UK where it's a lot of driving up the festival, you know, a festival on the weekend. You don't really do shows in, in the in the week in between because there's only so many places you can play in the UK, and you've probably already done the UK tour. Right. Um, uh, same with Europe. Like you know, sort of trying to fit in shows in between festivals, I can imagine can be a can be a bit tricky for booking agents. But in in the US, it seems wholly a lot easier to just keep bands on tour right. <laughs> for as long as they can, just because the country's so big and you yeah. can. You can just spin around it for the whole year if you need to. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so we we we, start, we started in 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 Phoenix and it's, it was a mixture of shows and festivals um, for two weeks or so. Largely, um, for some reason, we did like three or four shows in Idaho. Popped up to Canada for a bit. So that kind of like. Yeah, just sort of the West and the Midwest and then up in Canada. And then we had uh, four or five days off at home. That's when I moved apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then came back. We did a show in Vail, which is a mountain town. It's not snowy at the moment. And then two shows at Red Rocks, which are the, are the big hometown shows for Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. Um, then we flew east. Um, we did some shows with Willie Nelson. We did some shows supporting Foo Fighters. Uh, a few more festivals. And then we finished the other day in Kansas. Okay. Something and what's what's the range of shows um, we're looking at? Are they? I mean, obviously in, they're going to be slightly different venues between festivals and the and the own shows, and also the Foo Fighters. Oh, so what sort of room, what so, size yeah. of size rooms does he? Yeah, play? just um, just generally kind of because I'm guessing it's not all the same stuff. So you're looking at different no, it, capacity it, it does rooms, change. I mean, someone else, uh, probably every other person you've interviewed except me would know a little bit better about how markets shift uh, as you go across the US. Um, so, like, we seem to do uh, better on in the West and the West Coast than we would uh, in New York and stuff. Not that New York's a bad show mm-hmm. by any means. But, um, yeah, like, the smallest room Nathaniel would do in America is, like, 4,000-ish. Okay. Um the only time I can remember seeing um, like a capacity was we did, we did a co-headline with Robert Plant. Right. Um, can't remember where. And that was 13. They, they have these nice big amphitheaters. Um, I think that show was, was sold out, but you don't really need to, to sell them all out, you know, because there's like a, because there's the actual seating part. And then above that's a, a lot of big grassy knoll. Um, right. When people come with picnic blankets and stuff so like you can it, it's kind of it's, it's a good it's a good kind of show mm-hmm. 
there's lots of space but then you don't necessarily have to sell it out if you're a, a band that's not worth that amount of tickets you know Yeah, is it climbing? I would talk with this boss or what? How I, you... It's really hard to tell because obviously, like you strike up a good friendship with the with the people you work with because you work so uh, closely with them. But yeah. like, I did talk with this one guy. Um, uh, he's he's Wilco's drum tech. I don't know if that changes anything. Okay. Um, but like, he would always be like, he'd always be like, yeah, you know, your your client wants this, James, and I'd be like, can you stop calling my clients? It sounds a bit weird. Like, <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. Um, I, I find, so yeah, I, I mean, I find the word client hilarious. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I think you just call them your your guys kind of thing. You like you work you work for them. They, your you know, band, they are your bosses. But yeah. it's also a strange one because, like, I look after I look after Nathaniel, but I look, I, you know, I said I, all the guitars on stage are my responsibility. So the bass player is also, but I mean, he's technically a session guy. Um, but he's also Nathaniel's best friend since they were um, 12 or something. So like, yeah. you know, so if, if he wants to, to fire me, he can as well. Nathaniel nice. obviously has, has that jurisdiction. So there's loads of people that can fire you at any given time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like <laughs> it, 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 it needs the approval of probably four people before it, it would happen. I think with Nathaniel anyway, because you'd have Nathaniel, you'd have um, the tour manager, the production manager and the artist manager who would also who would all be kind of chiming in and then yeah and then i look after um the guitarist and the bassist luke and uh jury um so you're uh, at any given time you've technically you're looking after you're making sure that three different people on stage are all have all got everything that they need yes um i mean has that we, ever gone kind of... pear-shaped yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, luckily there's two backline technicians. The other one does keys and drums. Um, but he, you know, he he can tune a guitar. He plays guitar. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I, I don't think I've ever actually needed to get him to do it. But if he needed to to step in and, um, you know, tune some guitars while I'm fixing a problem, then then that can happen. Um, right. It like the the in fact the last show we did was was one of those. Um, yeah, we were we were supporting uh, Foos at the festival, and I think the, yeah, the bass went down in the second song or something. Right. Um, and like I said, you actually a lot more thought goes into structuring a set list around the guitar changes. Yeah. <laughs> um, than, than you'd think. So like, um, Nathaniel likes to 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 make sure that pretty much no one ever comes on stage at all for the first three or four songs while everyone's sort of getting. So they, we always make sure that the first three songs are with the same guitar or maybe Nathaniel's just singing or something. Right. Um, so, yeah, so when when the bass went down in song two, knowing that I'm, I, you know, I have to start doing changes and stuff from about song four of that of that particular set. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a little nervy. There was a little, there was one song when I was rushing to tune guitars and try and fix that guy's bass at the same time. Um, and I, I just about managed it without, without, without anything. Is there um, a, a nervous energy in in with you and the other techs like there would be with the with the artists as well before each show? You're kind of going right. Well, I hope that I don't have to do things like that. Are you managing um, those sorts of feelings and anxieties? Well, we're kind of lucky in that we, you know, 
it's quite rigorous how how well everything's checked you know so like yep. um you know there's there's the line check uh, at sort of 2 p.m before before musicians even show up and then you, they sound check um and they'll go through some songs and make sure everything's fine for them and then when you get to the show you, you know you line check again mm-hmm. make sure everything's fine so like there's kind of three three or four opportunities throughout the day before the show even happens for for you to go oh that's you know there's a buzz on that or or whatever right seems to pop up that day um yeah so that so that there seems to be yeah there's ample opportunities to 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 make sure that things don't go wrong during the show but you know good things happen bad things happen um and yeah i mean <laughs> I, the fear really goes into me when when something goes wrong with nathaniel like i've only had one like total meltdown of a show right with nathaniel specifically out of how many um, shows uh i don't know 200 or so that's not a bad um, it's fine it's not a bad yeah. rate you would have thought that um, just by the law of averages that maybe once a year you have to deal I mean, with something going horribly wrong i think wrong. luck follows that guy around okay like if we're if we're playing like card games on the bus or something he always wins. Like we played, <laughs> we played dice on the bus. Um, do you know the game dice or CeeLo? Yeah. Um, and you know everyone puts in a unit depending on what country you're in. So if you're in America, that's one dollar. Right. If you're in Germany, it's a euro. Um, you, you, everyone puts in one. It. I, I'm still a bit confused how he always comes out on top because it's a, it's definitely a game of luck. Right. I've done the I've done the maths. <laughs> Dice is definitely a game of luck and he always like he always wins and it's infuriating. So like yeah, so like the guitarist and the bassist stuff goes down not not regularly by any means, but mm-hmm. like it happens. Um yeah, Nathan- Nathaniel I've only I've only seemingly had like real problems with his with his setup two or three times maybe in you know, one of them being being like I've ruined this show kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that, that one in particular. That one like, must have been fun. Well, because obviously like... How do you come back from that? Because I mean, I obviously was, everybody, I you're, you're aware, everybody knows, but also it's not like you tried to do that. It's just no, that sort of thing what, happens. So do you just kind of go, well, we chalk that one up to experience and we make sure it doesn't happen again or, or what? I mean, I'd say that the the artist that will only get really annoyed with you if it happens two shows in a row. Right. Um, but you do kind of you do feel the the weight of blame uh, for you know if something goes wrong, even if it's nothing to do with you, even if it's just a thing that happened and amp blew up. Right. Like we did a sh- we did a show in um, it was in in, in the, the mountain town of Vale in february right um and it was about i reckon i uh, I don't know what it would have been in celsius because i work in fahrenheit now obviously um (laughs) it was like minus 20 celsius or something right beyond freezing cold and and like the guitarist amp just died (laughs) like i just went "Uh, no no i can't i can't work in these conditions yeah so like obviously no one's blaming me for like you know his guitar going down and me going Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, it's obviously it's so cold that the the vacuum tubes have just decided to stop being vacuum tubes. So like, yeah. and and that's just like switching, just switching over to the spare amp, and it was fine. But like, yeah, no one blamed me for that 
specifically kind of thing. Um, I think I think there's enough kind of things in place to make sure that that everyone everyone on the stage is certainly kind of looking out for each other. You know, like my production manager is also the monitor engineer. Um, right. So he he's he's there kind of like you know after the show he's obviously got a great look of everything and he goes like if something has gone wrong he's like what do I need to do to help you make sure that this doesn't happen tomorrow kind mm-hmm. of um, and then you, you, there's also the the general joy of of everything being a new day you know um, you can wake up the, the the day afterwards despite having felt terrible about it the night before yeah and and you're kind of like okay cool well I, you know here's here's a, a chance to for to make things okay again um but yeah the, the the blame does seem to like to be pushed upon someone sometimes though and that, that that can make for a difficult working environment sometimes but like i said that's i think it's kind of a rare thing but again i think because you're you're a you're a close networking team and because nathaniel is someone who likes having the same people yeah on each and every it's not like a new group of people are on every single tour you kind of get to know each other a bit better when things go wrong it's not about naming and shaming and and the blame game or anything like that it's much more of a family unit i guess yeah it might not be if you were just someone who kind of jumped on tours as and when they arrived it might be a little bit more everyone's kind of flying by the seat a little bit more and that sort of thing yeah you're, you're totally right like, so so there's um, method to to making sure that you've got the same people there each and every time because it it mitigates those risks i guess yeah and i mean it's mainly that it just helps in general with the flow of the show so like so yeah so one of one of like nathaniel's um things that he's you know a little that's specific to him yep um is is that I, yeah I meet him behind the riser to do guitar changes. Right now, if I don't, if I, if I'm there too soon, he was like, oh, well, that looks silly. You know, just, just Pepper's just standing on stage. You know, so like I, I need to make, but I also can't be too late, otherwise he gets impatient. Remember that he's the band leader; everyone's looking at him. Yeah. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be spending any more than two seconds doing a guitar change. So I need to meet him there. It's when you so get a there. guitar chucked at you from a distance. Oh, I mean, the guitar throwing is a whole is a whole separate thing. But like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, it, making sure that I know exactly how quickly he walks. I'm judging the distance from like his microphone to the guitar riser, my distance from my guitar vaults to the riser, to make sure that I'm meeting him perfectly there. You know, yeah, um, yeah. it's it's all of those it's all of these tiny little things that that can make a show flow. A lot, yeah. a, a lot more nicely, you know. How long did it take you to to be as comfortable as you are now with with Nathaniel? So you've done two hundred odd shows. Yeah. Was it after the first ten? Was it? more than that where you kind of suddenly got right i know what i need to be doing here now or are you still kind of doing that now it's it's tricky because obviously like my mood's different every day the um the stage setup might be a little bit different depending on what stage you're on and you know like i said the weather changes everyone's in varying degrees of different moods um 
you know, if, if it's later on in the tour, you, you tend to find everyone's just a little bit more apathetic. There's nothing more fun than the last. The last show of a tour is very similar to when you just watched films on the last day of term at school. <laughs> you know, like no, no, like no one really seems to kind of, everyone's like, that's, that's, can I go home now? Right. You, like, you're uh, kind of just getting it done and having a bit of a laugh. Yeah, and like sound check doesn't take very long at all. Um, you know, it's a, it, it, it really, but if you're at like start of campaign, everyone's, you know, rested, ready to kind of get into get into the the slog part of the touring, break the back of the, the campaign and stuff. Yeah. So like it does, it depends on, on where you're at on any given, in a campaign, in a tour, on any given day, you know. Um, yeah, moods, moods shift a lot, but... Um, and what's the best bit about touring from your perspective? Um, Other than losing a question. dice. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a good question. There's, there's, there's a lot of things to love and hate about the whole thing, really. Yeah. Um, I like the bit where obviously the, the, the traveling part's good. You don't, you don't, you don't see uh, as you'd think. Like whenever I think of travel in my head, you know, people are, you know, doing that picture with the Leaning Tower of Pisa and, and all right. that. So you, you don't really do very much of that. It's no. a lot of seeing the back of a venue in France and then the back of a venue in Austria. <laughs> um, uh, we did, though, we did go to Japan and uh, promo there. So, yeah, so we we had promo plan that didn't go ahead. And right. we ended so, up like with a few days off in Tokyo. So that was like an enjoyable time where we actually got to see tokyo and stuff you you do also get kind of lazy like i remember there was, there was one year i went to berlin eight times in a year <laughs> nice. and you're like i don't like i don't need to go to brandenburg gate this time <laughs> you know like um it just stopped matters like that specific year i was like i don't need to go to berlin anymore you know um yeah, yeah. So you do get you get a bit lazy as you, I'm done you with go this to place. places more and more often as well yeah um it's nice though because you can you can kind of go like okay, what what's the, what what are people allowing me to do with it? Do I have a day off either side of it? Where's the hotel? Where's the venue in relation to like the cool stuff that happens around? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, obviously the traveling aspect is very nice. Um, I mean, in America specifically, I really like the meeting the new meeting people bit. Do you think you have? Do you have to be a pretty sociable person to do what you do? yeah that that's the bit i find kind of difficult i wouldn't call myself introverted by any means but um you would you, you would know, class yourself more towards that end than you would an I, extrovert i think i, I think i mean i think i'm a straight 50 50 guy i think okay. that everyone need i think everyone needs um time to i mean I, I toured with a guy and he would never hang out with us on days off right um and it was it was a frightening rabbit tour essentially which is immeasurably family and touring you know everyone's yeah. on the same bus it was um you know you really you're better off being a good person than being good at your job on a frightened rabbit tour you know so right. um and he would just never hang out with it and i'd like why do you not hang out and he'd be like self-preservation james <laughs> you know so like he would need so he just he needed that day he needed to to sit on his own and decompress and, you know, or just whatever. watch yeah. tv and yeah exactly like and and that does seem to happen I mean, if you think that you're, you know, I'm on a bus with, yeah. um, you know, with, with Nathaniel, the, we have a band and a crew bus, so the band's eight and they're on a bus. Um, and then the crew is nine. 
But again, I mean, I mean, yeah, you're in the, you're in these people's pockets all day, every day, and yeah, there's certain little things that they do that annoy you. Um, I did talk with a with a with a a guy who was sober, um, and that that was always kind of interesting as to like he obviously understood that like he's working in an industry where you know he's gonna just turn up and there's gonna be loads of free beer in a room for him that he's allowed to drink. So like. Um, he was very aware of it, but at the same yeah. time, it was like you, you, I, I kind of felt the need to be careful um, as to uh, what you're indulging in um, around him, you know. If we use Nathaniel and what you were doing with Frightened Rabbit beforehand as a, a way of comparing and contrasting how mm -hmm. how is the stuff that you've been doing nathaniel different to what life was like with frightened rabbit or was it broadly um, the same just different personalities no nah, they were they, they, they were very different they, they're all they're all very very different from each other um i can assume that they'd get along if you know if we were to have some sort of group hang but um um, I mean, the size of the tour with Frightened Rabbit was was a little smaller. Um, right. I mean, they actually do, prob well, they they did better here than in the UK. Yeah, and yeah. Frightened Rabbit worked. Um, never Europe never really understood. I don't think they invested too much time in mainland Europe in general. Right. Um, but yeah, in on a Frightened Rabbit tour, it'd be one bus with uh, the entire band and crew on it. The band of five. The crew was about the same. Um, and yeah, we'd have a bus and a trailer. Um, and then with um, with Nathaniel, you know, we have two buses, one crew with nine, one one band with eight, and then a truck, like a big fifty-four foot big American truck. Right. And so we carry we carry a lot more of our own stuff with Nathaniel. Okay. Um, we didn't. We it was only maybe two Frightened Rabbit tours when we actually when we brought our own lights, for example. Um, right. So yeah, it, it said. So, I mean, that that was the the change, the the main one. But I mean, as far as characters, I mean, you kind of you're comparing like real, you know, hearty Scottish people with uh, with rural Americans. So I mean, there's there's a lot of differences in in how they are as people, you know. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with? bands and people that you've toured with extensively in the past so the Frightened Rabbit guys the Temperance Movement guys are you still vaguely in touch or or not really yeah yeah well it's more like if if the opportunity to hang out again presents itself then you will always bring it up kind of thing so yeah. the Temperance Movement came through Chicago recently and um I think it was the first time I ever actually saw the show like from front like from, from the front yeah <laughs> rather yeah, than the so side like that, <laughs> that nice. was that was really nice um yeah and then um i mean the the, the frightened rabbit things are a, a little bit different just because sometimes sometimes I, I get a bit nervous about what what to actually talk to them about nowadays yeah, yeah. um uh just, uh with scott dying was such a kind of paradigm shift yeah um and 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 all that sort of thing but i i, I still speak to um most of them reasonably often yeah um yeah like we'll, we'll go into a, a wedding 
in in a month's time, for example. Lovely. The, the monitor guy, the Fabio's monitor guy is getting married. So okay. Um, so you know we'll we'll all meet up there and it'll be good and stuff. And then like Nathaniel was in Glasgow. Uh, the start of the year, so I, I think I think I saw pretty much everyone at that point. Um, went around for some veggie haggis to the guitarist's house and stuff. Nice, um, nice. So okay. right at the beginning of this, you were talking about mm -hmm. techs being failed musicians. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you've you're well when we were at university together you were a fairly vigorous songwriter um yep and performer yes um and for whatever reason that drifted away like i said i, I stopped very sharp and suddenly and i did it specifically because i didn't want to be a tech that was a failed musician right. I, didn't, I didn't like i didn't like how it felt but you've um, released six singles this year under mm -hmm. end notes and a couple of eps and other singles previously so what was the what was the motivation behind that what is it like being a being a musician or being someone who's releasing music when you're surrounded by people that are that little bit further along in their careers well that's kind of the fun of it i think is that beforehand i well, i mean firstly beforehand i was actually like trying to do well now <laughs> now you're just no, doing it no no i mean like I, it doesn't matter what it is like humans need to be creative just for the sake of being creative right um and like if you if you can make some money from you that's then that's wonderful but like if if you if you if you're going into it and you're and you're not trying to make money it doesn't mean just you can still do it it's fun mm -hmm. making music's great um even if you're like you're in a cover band with your mates it's fun um and you're you're being creative and stuff and i think it's just an important part of like being a human um and so i wasn't making music while i was um while i was becoming a, a technician and then i kind of saw a window to to start doing it again i realized that like having a lack of creativity wasn't necessarily a good thing for mm -hmm. my well-being so i just started i just started making like ambient drones you know at home and like yeah um i mean also buying pedals is 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 it's a really good tax write-off but um <laughs> but like don't say that on a recording <laughs> okay oh you have to edit that out now don't you um, <clears throat> it is though. Um, okay um as far i mean you you definitely become like inspired by the people you are working with yeah, um you know and the, the fact the fact that like the, you know it's quite a strange situation where like i i make my first little demo song and the first person that hears it is scott hutchison like one of my favorite songwriters and <laughs> like a guy who's become my friend in that time um and you know and then and I get very valuable feedback from the guy. Mm. If you'd like to know, he said, uh, I don't understand why you're not talk, uh, sounding like yourself when you sing. Okay, you know, so like, you were put, he thought you were putting on somebody else's voice. I was putting, on a, voice. Yeah, I was putting yeah. on a different voice and he was just like, he was just like, you know, it doesn't, like Frank Turner, for it, whether or not you like him musically, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he sounds like, Frank like Turner. he sings. Yeah. yeah, when he's singing, he sounds like Frank Turner for better or worse. 
and um the same with scott like he you know scott's singing voice was very similar to how he how he spoke and he thought that that was a you know an important part of being uh honest as a songwriter so he so that was the the, f the first bit of advice i got was was a guy tell it was you know one of my favorite songwriters telling me to be more honest um it's not bad so like you know that. and then but then, but then i redid the song and and you know as i started I mean, I'm, a, I'm a bit offended by my own Essex accent in general, but um, <laughs> you know, I tried to make myself sound a, li a little bit more like me. So it's, it, having that, having that um, sounding board is is certainly more fun. Mm. Um, and then obviously you're watching um, people at the top of their game doing, playing shows and stuff, and you're, you're seeing how productions are put together and um, and you know what mid-song banter goes down like a lead balloon because it's always the same like there's certain things that just don't work um, so are you are you back performing then like on your downtime um, between now and christmas are you going to venture into chicago and do a few open mic nights and yeah stuff like that? I, well it, it, it's a bit more like full-on than than how i used to be doing it when i was more a bit folky but um but yeah i think i'm going to do some shows it, by straight up luck the guy who I record with in um london who i made my first like few few records with was mm -hmm. he's he's he, he found himself a wife who happens to live in chicago so he's oh, moving here um so that's just blind luck more than anything but yeah so i think we're gonna like make it a band and and maybe have some indie rock vacations around the midwest uh during my off time nice um, but yeah like i said and that kind of goes back to not nicely fitting in and around the fact that there is that that bit of retainer going on where you can in your downtime be creative and then go back and doing to do the the touring stuff rather than in those downtimes having to find another tour to to go out on yeah i mean one one thing i i think i love more than anything about touring is that you are you're away for you know say between two and six weeks at any given tour and then and then you might be off for two whole weeks mm -hmm. all your weekends put up in one in one go yeah um which is a, a much kind of i don't know i mean you have to kind of put yourselves in different mindsets every time um but i i like the way that, that i like that structure i remember I, I worked in a workshop for a year 18 months um in 2015 mm -hmm. um this like this like scrappy basement in 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 denmark street uh called noden guitars and and but it was the, the routine like you know 10 to 6 5 days a week I, I really struggled with it at the time yeah um I, I couldn't get i couldn't i i i thought with with a routine would come a certain kind of life rhythm but it turned out i was just like oh oh i only get one day off here <laughs> and then i've got to go back to work the next day i can't just like sit at home chilling out for a week you know no. um so that's another another benefit of touring is that is that um if you if you've done enough work throughout the year then you'll be able to relax and enjoy yourself in in your time off you know cool i think that's a really that's a really good way of of ending this we're up to kind of another hour and a half monster chat so yeah thanks so much for talking to me much appreciated. No problem at all. Thanks for the forum. <laughs> Cheers.
massive thanks to Pepper there uh, for giving me all sorts of time, considering all the issues that we had. If you would like to find Pepper online, uh, find him on Twitter at James Endnotes. Uh, find him on Instagram at Endnotes Endnotes. And find Endnotes, his musical project that he mentioned in the pod, on Spotify. There's about an album's worth of material there, so give that a listen. And obviously... All the bands that he's talked about, Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats, Temperance Movement and Frightened Rabbit can be found on Spotify and other streaming platforms and in a local music store near you. If you'd like to get in touch with me at the podcast, uh, find me on Instagram at BehindTheBusinessPod, uh, email me on BehindTheBusinessPod at gmail.com. I still do really enjoy getting emails from everybody who's been listening. Um, the more the merrier. Find me personally on Twitter at Danny Champion. Um, and yes, we've got a few more left to go before the end of the year. If you're listening to this as they come out, uh, there's a few left to go. Looking forward to putting those out and looking forward to having a bit of, bit of a play with some new bits and pieces in 2020. So until then, thank you very much. See you later.